In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, of all the Sundays of the year, Trinity Sunday is the most difficult Sunday for the priest to give a sermon. And the reason is that the mystery of the Trinity is the most supernatural mystery. It's the mystery that's most hidden from our minds of all the mysteries of the faith. But today I'm not going to preach to you about the Blessed Trinity. I'm going to preach to you about something else and something that sometimes seems as mysterious as the Most Holy Trinity. And this is the subject of the Religious Brothers of the Society of St. Pius X. Because the fact is that a lot of our faithful do not know about the brothers or if they know about them do not understand what the vocation of a brother is. So to um, yeah, avoid or, or remove this mystery, I, I want to speak to you today about four things. First of all, what a religious is. Secondly, what a brother is. Thirdly, what a, an SSPX brother is. And then finally, why we need religious brothers. So first of all, the brothers are religious. And a religious is someone who answers our Lord's call to be perfect. You know that in the Gospels, our Lord says, uh, to, He gives certain commands to everybody, just like the one that we just heard in today's Gospel, that you have to be baptized if you want to be saved. But there are th some things that He says that are not precepts, they're only counsels, they're only recommendations. They're for a certain class of people. They're not for everybody. They're for those who want to strive higher. They're for the elite. And this is when our Lord says things like, if thou wilt be perfect, this is what you need to do. So our Lord designed a state of life for those people who want to achieve perfection. It's called the state of perfection. Um, it, it's, it's identified with the religious life. The religious life is one and the same as the state of perfection. It's a way of life that's designed by our Lord that is the very best means, not just to save your soul, but also to attain holiness. Our Lord specified in the Gospels three of these councils, these evangelical councils, that specify what you must do if you want to live that kind of life. The three things, as, as I'm sure you know, are poverty, chastity, and obedience. These are the three primary components of what is known as the religious life, this particular state of life designed by our Lord Jesus Christ Himself for the most perfect attainment of holiness in this life. So why are those three things so suited to help us attain holiness? Why is it poverty, chastity, and obedience? Really for two reasons. First of all, these three vows eliminate obstacles to perfect union with God. Let's face it, most of us in our daily lives are too distracted in order to focus on God all the time. There's too many things going on. What are those things that are going on? One of the things is our bank account. 
the things that we, the, the management of money, the stuff that we have, our external possessions, the management of our house, the, the management of our car, the management of, of all of our property takes up a lot of our time and distracts us from the things of God. So our Lord says, you just get rid of all of those things. You take the vow of poverty and you, you relieve yourself of the management of economic affairs. Secondly, we're often involved very much with our families, with um, the husband and wife and the children uh, sap a, a lot of our resources, and rightly so. Hopefully, if, if we're living our family life well, then they're sapping a lot of our resources, um, taking up a, a lot of our time, and distracting us from this constant focus on God. And so our Lord says as well, that those who want to be perfect must leave husband and wife, father and mother, in order to serve him, if they, if they want to lead um, that life of perfection. It's also, the, the vow of ch uh, uh, chastity is, is, is very much as well um, a, a, a way to become um, less earthly, less attached to the flesh. Then thirdly, the vow of obedience and this is the most difficult one. The vow of obedience um, is order, in, in order to remove the biggest obstacle to us attaining perfection, and that obstacle is our own will. Our own desires are often standing in the way of us attaining union with God. And so what our Lord says is that you follow me. You enter into a religious congregation and you do not follow your own will, you follow the will of your superiors. And you know that when you do that, you're following the will of God. You're not pursuing your own will. You're consistently following an order that's established by your religious superior. And that, again, enables you to focus on God alone because you're not always having to make all these decisions. So the three vows eliminate the obstacles to perfect union with God, they eliminate the property that you might have, they, they relieve you of the, of the cares of a family, and they even relieve you of the judgment-making process that's often involved with, with your own will, the use of your own will. Secondly, these three vows that are recommended by our Lord, they foster a perfect love of God. When you do not have property, you're able to give your heart wholly to God. When you um, do not have a wife and children, you're able to give your heart more perfectly to God. And when you do not have this um, constant need of making all these decisions about various affairs, you're able to have a more perfect love of God. The main purpose of the religious life is to achieve not just perfection in general, but the perfection of the virtue of charity. The virtue of charity is the very highest virtue. So the attainment of the most perfect love of God and love of neighbor and the religious vows are the very best suited to achieve that goal. And that's quite simply why our Lord, who is wisdom itself, recommends this way of life to people in the gospel. So the religious, someone who's thinking about the religious life, they say, you know, I want to save my soul in the safest and best way possible. What kind of life should I lead to do this? 
I want to give my life over to God as perfectly as possible. And our Lord says, you need to enter the religious life. You need to enter this life where you take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I guarantee you that you will um, attain holiness and you will save your soul. You know, St. Gregory the Great, he famously says, give me a religious who has been faithful throughout his entire religious life to these three vows. And I don't need a canonization process. I would just canonize him on the spot. I know he's in heaven. Secondly, that's a religious in general. But the most common religious that you're familiar with as Catholics are the monks and the nuns. Most people know about monks and nuns. Um, but a brother is also a type of religious. It's not just monks and nuns who take the three vows, but it's also a religious brother takes the three vows. So they're exactly the same in that respect and that they're in this state of perfection. What is different is that monks often live in a monastery, nuns often live in convents, but brothers will, will live in, in other types of communities. They won't live in a, in a monastery, but they'll live in a, in a sort of mixed community where there might be um, priests and, and brothers living together. Um, they're, they're leading a more active life than a monk would living in a monastery. So brothers are not um, as cloistered as the monks. So the brothers can leave their community, such as they're doing right now, and, and going out to, a, to another place. So the brothers tend to lead a more active missionary life. You can think about the brothers that St. Maximilian Kolbe had. You know, St. Maximilian Kolbe established these cities of the Immaculate in Poland and in Japan, and he had many brothers. He had hundreds of religious brothers living in these places. They all took the, the, the three vows, but they were performing the various works for the running of these cities of the Immaculate. It wasn't so much a monastery as a city. Also, Archbishop Lefebvre, when he was a Holy Ghost Father working in Africa, he had brothers. Brothers and sisters were a part of the Holy Ghost uh, community. So in the, the various places where the Holy Ghost Fathers were doing their missionary work, they would often have sisters there and brothers there as well, assisting the, the priests in their work. And this is precisely where Archbishop Lefebvre got this idea that the Society of St. Pius X would not just be com composed of priests, but also be composed of nuns and religious brothers who would assist this work of, uh, of the priesthood. So a brother is essentially the same thing as a monk in that he takes religious vows and he lives in a community. Um, but the main difference is in the way the brother lives out his life, how he lives his religious vows. All religious take the vows, but the way in which they live their vows is different. So the way in which the brothers of the society, St. Pius X, live their vows is uh, according to this vision of Archbishop Lefebvre when he founded the Society of St. Pius X. What he wanted to do is he wanted to um, restore the priesthood. He wanted to provide to the church priests, but also all the works that are associated with the priesthood. And his vision was that 
he would have this religious family surrounding the priesthood. Um, we would, the main work of the society would be the seminaries where priests were formed, but there would also be uh, associated with this uh, work for, for the priests um, nuns and brothers who would assist the priest in their works. And just as the priests have the Mass as their primary spirituality, the priests of the Society of St. Pius X, so also the brothers and the nuns of the Society of St. Pius X have the, the Mass as the primary focus of their spirituality. And the, the, the brothers and the nuns assist the priests in their work. So, for example, um, with Holy Cross Seminary, you know, the brothers at Holy Cross, they make up an essential part of the staff there. In other words, the Holy Cross Seminary could not really run unless we had the brothers there helping out. So we've got Brother Joseph, um, who is our, our maintenance man. Brother Joseph has been a brother for 35 years. And there's just a long list of things that only Brother Joseph can do at the seminary in, in his maintenance work. He, he, if he dies, we're finished because um, we don't know all these secrets of, of the building and, and things that need to be maintained. Um, Brother Patrick, he works in, with the cooking and the laundry. Um, and Brother Xavier has taken over the accounting for Brother Peter. Brother Peter is very old, so Brother Xavier has come. He's taken over the accounting. Brother, Brother Xavier also, he directs the scola uh, at the seminary. He trains the seminarians on how to sing. And he also um, trains seminarians on how to play the organ. So he's also an organist. So these just these three brothers alone are, are performing extremely important work at Holy Cross Seminary. But perhaps you're saying to yourself, well, well, Father, I mean, why don't they just hire some people? I mean, why don't you just hire an organist or hire an accountant? Can't you can't you get other people? do these things? Why, why do you need brothers? Um, well, obviously this might be a bit, first of all, a bit too taxing for the seminary to, to hire all of those people. But the more important reason, and this is what must be understood, is that it, it has to be religious who do these things at the seminary for it to be a religious community. It wouldn't be a religious community if we had lay people who were drawing a salary from doing this work. In other words, it's a very, very different quality of, of work and spirit, a very different spirit when it's done by someone who's there doing a job and when it's done by someone who's there and has consecrated his whole life to the service of God. It's totally different. And if you want to have a religious community, you've got to have consecrated people who are doing the maintenance, consecrated people who are doing the cooking, doing the laundry, consecrated people who are performing the work of the liturgy. Otherwise, it's just a paid job. It's not really a religious community. We also, you, you, you may wonder, about the process of becoming a brother. We've got Brother Daniel here as well. Brother Daniel is um, still in training. He's what's called a novice. So the various steps 
before you take the vows. The first step is the postulancy, where, you, where you're just sort of checking out the religious life. You're, you're, you're observing the community where you're living, and the, the, the staff is observing you. And then after a while, you think, well, this might work out. Let's, let's actually not just learn about this way of life, let's try out this way of life. And that's when you become a novice. You take the habit, and you receive a name. <clears throat> So back last 28th of September, Brother Daniel took the habit, received the name of, of Daniel. That wasn't, it's not his, his, his real name, it's his name that he grew up with. So he's now Brother Daniel. And he spends a year as a novice trying out the life, the religious life. And God willing, when, when he comes to September 29th this year, the Feast of St. Michael, he will step forward and make what's called his first profession. It's the first time when he makes those three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. He makes them for one year, and then if he, if he perseveres, he renews them the next year. They, they are renewed uh, for one year, three times, this is one, 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 and then two times they're renewed for three years. Um, so one, 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 three, three, and then after that period of nine years, if everything's going well, the brother then makes his perpetual profession where he's professed for life. He's a brother for life. He's a brother Joseph and brother Patrick are brothers for life. Well, this is the nature of the vocation of the brothers in general and the Brother Society of St. Pius X in particular. We can also ask ourselves not just why does the seminary need brothers, but why are brothers needed in general? Why does the church have religious brothers? I just want to give you three reasons. And the very first reason why the world needs religious brothers is the glory of God. God is God. God the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He deserves infinite homage from among human beings. But not everybody is able to give him all the focus that they can. And the running of society and uh, people uh, raising their families and so on. But there should be at least some who consecrate their very lives to the glory of God. Who give their very existence wholly and exclusively to God himself. It's appropriate. It's fitting, it's just that there be such a type of people, consecrated souls. The second reason is the holiness of the church. You know that holiness is one of the marks of the church, one holy Catholic and apostolic. So the holiness of the church is manifested primarily through the lives of consecrated souls. And you may realize that the consecrated life is um, somewhat unique to the Catholic Church. We know that Protestants don't have monks and nuns and religious brothers. They just don't believe in the religious life. So these consecrated souls are a special mark of the holiness of the church. And we may say that the church is, is more healthy when it's producing or leading more and more souls to this consecrated life. In the glory days of the church, um, the, the church was being flooded with, with monks and, and nuns. And monasteries popping up all over Europe. 
because there's so many people attracted to this way of life, giving their life as a consecration to God. In a sense, we could say that the brothers and the monks and the nuns are a living miracle, in that they lead lives that are beyond natural powers, natural human powers. Humanly speaking, it's not possible to lead a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And so when people of the world, when they, when they see people leading these kinds of lives, they're, they're astonished. They say, how, how does this take place? Is it really true? This is how you live your life? You don't own anything? You don't have a wife and children? You're obedient to your superior in all things? How is this possible? can only be possible through the grace of God, through something supernatural. And this is what is astonishing to people. That's why most people in the world today just don't understand this way of life. But the third thing is that you as well, you faithful, you need the example of these consecrated souls. If you only see the ordinary around you, if, if you only have ordinary examples of the Catholic life, then you will naturally tend to be mediocre yourself. You will not be inspired to higher things and living your, your lives and um, in, in raising your families and, and uh, trying to uh, strive for, for holiness in your own life. You will tend to be mediocre yourself. But also, the religious play a very essential role in the church's charitable works. The world needs people who do everything for nothing. The world needs people who are out there and are not getting paid for their services. The reason they're doing it is for the love of God, because it's a different quality of work. If we think about the nuns in the schools, in, in, in them teaching, um, we, we think about perhaps the, the, uh, the brothers conducting a catechism class or them singing in the liturgy, if we think about the, the orphanages or the hospitals that were run by nuns in the past, uh, the caring for the sick or the homes for, for the poor, you compare on the one hand these, these modern charitable organizations where you have someone in a suit and tie who's speaking to you and says, you know, support our charitable organization, we're doing this, we're feeding the poor, what have you, uh, compared to a, a brother or a nun standing there and, and seeing them take care of, of the poor or take care of the abandoned children or what have you. It's a very, very different type of charitable work because they do everything for nothing. You know they're not doing it for money because they've given their whole life for it. The influence that that's the, the brothers and, and the nuns have had over generations of Catholics is incalculable. And on the seminary itself, Holy Cross Seminary, used to be um, an agricultural college where boys were trained to farm. And we have these, these old boys come back year after year. They just want to come back. They just want to see the place again. They just want to visit Holy Cross Seminary because they have these memories of being there and being formed by these brothers. So this as well is very important. So my dear faithful, religious nuns and religious brothers are an important part of the family of the Society of St. Pius X. 
it's important that we have religious nuns and religious brothers. Our, our dream, of course, is, is to increase uh, the numbers of priests, nuns, and brothers in the Society of St. Pius X for uh, the Catholicization of, of society, for the renewal of society. And this is why we have to ask our Lord and Our Lady over and over again to please grant us many holy religious vocations. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.